This is crime scene investigator Chris G leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast, The Crime Scene Investigator. My name is Chris G and I'm here to talk to you about all things forensic science and crime scene related. First, before we get into it, uh, there was a a big game, a big football match on television yesterday. Uh, sadly, England weren't, uh, weren't victorious, but they put up a real good fight. They took Italy to uh, all the way to penalties, um, but history repeats us itself and as, as most people know England aren't that great and aren't renowned for their successes on penalty taking but um, we did an incredible job to to get to the final it's the first final I think England have been in since 1966 last time they won the World Cup um, so yeah we should be really really proud of our of our football team and of course uh, there are some idiots out there that uh, have chosen to racially abuse the England players. Uh, There were some idiots that decided to boo the national anthem of Italy. And yeah, I just think that disrespect has no place in football and has no place outside of sport as well. Um, If if you're going to racially abuse people, then you don't belong belong outside your home or in front of a personal computer device or, or anything like that. If uh, yeah, if people like that are offending you so much, then yeah, watching football just isn't for you. So please don't do that. Now stepping away from football, any of you who have been closely following my podcast, firstly thank you so much, and secondly you might be pleased to know that I've purchased myself a laptop, so I can take this show on the road now, which should be able to get some more interesting content for you guys, and it will probably be more easier to talk to some staff members and get more of a conversation going as opposed to me doing these by myself in my lonely personal office at home. And moving on, we'll uh, we'll get into the main part of the show. So today we're going to be talking about DNA. Firstly, I'm just going to sort of uh, run down what is DNA and then I'll go into, say, the various categories of DNA and then how I would recover such. You probably heard me talk about uh, various uh, different items that yield DNA or the uh, various types of DNA that we can find at a crime scene. So this might be a little bit of repetition if you're a avid listener. If so, bear with me, I'm going to get into uh, the nitty-gritty about how I recover DNA from crime scenes uh, in a bit. Uh, So, what is DNA? DNA stands for, bear with me, deoxyribonucleic... No, I'll try that again. Deoxyribonucleic acid. (laughs) Try it again, shall we? DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid deoxyribonucleic acid anyway uh, it's a long word that we shorten down to dna 
Uh, it's uh, basically atoms that are stuck together to form a helix, uh, which contains our genetic code. That's kind of in a nutshell what you need to know for, for my line of work. Uh, scientists, uh, people that are a lot more cleverer than I am, we use techniques to extract DNA from items I collect from crime scenes and they are able to tell me whose DNA is on an object or a swab that I submit to them. So that's fantastic, right? Uh, well, you've probably seen there are various documentaries um, where DNA is sort of discredited and that's why it's so important that we um, we remain impartial. We also uh, keep up with anti-contamination pro uh, procedures. So whether or not we are, say, putting on our scene suit, changing our gloves, if we, like, touch a light switch and then we go to recover an item, of course, we've got to be mindful that DNA is quite fragile. It's quite easy to pick up and place elsewhere, unlike fingerprints. Um, unless you're watching a spy film, in which case they could easily lift up someone's fingerprints and place it elsewhere. Uh, but yeah, we've just got to be mindful that DNA is quite sensitive and therefore to not get us, say, caught out in the witness box or end up on a documentary in 20 years' time where we've wrongly convicted someone, we need to make sure that we are keeping up to date and, and in line with our anti-contamination procedures. So there are various uh, items um, or ways that we can gather uh, DNA uh, and the first most common kind of DNA that is kind of everywhere and I can guarantee that you could probably see it if you look close enough are skin cells. Now I'm not asking you to look at yourself and look at your own skin uh, but most of your household dust is going to likely be skin cells. Um, so yeah, day, day to day we shared thousands of skin cells um, and the dead skin cells uh, nuclei would have degraded so we're not likely to get a DNA code from any dead skin cells. However, cells with a living nuclei would be a good source for, for DNA. Now we'll move on, the next one's saliva. Now saliva itself does not uh, contain DNA. What? I know. <laughs> saliva? That, that Surely that's a rich source of DNA. And you're right, it is a rich source of DNA. But the saliva itself does not have DNA uh, in it. It's actually our skin cells inside our mouth that have this DNA code. And because our mouth is so active, um, you probably uh, can think of people that have an active mouth, uh, it's so active that we are regularly kind of shedding skin cells within our mouth that's mixing up with our saliva and of course then uh, if we deposit our saliva at a crime scene it's likely to have our DNA in it. Now we're getting quite a, ro a rise in masks being found at crime scenes now uh, so if we do say like a drugs warrant on an address um, they're likely to have a mask in it these days which are an excellent source of DNA masks because you're just breathing on it, you might cough and cough out a little bit of saliva. So yeah, masks are very rich in DNA. And of course, anything that kind of looks like or resembles a mask, such as like a motorcycle helmet, they're often very good for saliva. Uh, next category, and uh, quite an obvious one, is blood. Now DNA can be found in the white blood cells within our blood. Uh, the red blood cells do not carry a nuclei, so 
therefore do not store DNA. It's our it's our white blood cells. And yeah, this can be quite a rich source of DNA. If I obtain blood from a crime scene, then I'm kind of waiting for a scientist to tell me that there is a full DNA profile that's been obtained. Unlike if I say submit some cellular swabs, so some swabs I'm looking for skin cells, that might be a bit hit and miss. Whereas if I submit blood or something that I think has come into contact with saliva, then yeah, I'm almost waiting for that result. Uh, hair. Now, if hair's pulled out, uh, as opposed to when our root dies, then there's a good chance that skin cells will be present um, attached to the hair. So uh, hair that naturally falls out and does not contain a root might uh, prove challenging for a scientist to get any DNA from it. So we're really looking for hair that's been, say, yanked out. And this could be through an assault. Uh, I've also recovered, once upon a time, a large clump of hair that had been caught onto the uh, windscreen of a smash car. It was a fantastic advert for why you should be wearing a seatbelt because this person obviously wasn't and they just went head first into the windscreen, uh, pulled themselves back and yanked out pretty much half their hair, which, yeah, must have must have hurt probably more than the, uh, <laughs> the actual impact. Now, another rich source of DNA is semen. Uh, us blokes, we pass on our genetic code uh, over when we say have intercourse, which is why it uh, contains a rich source of DNA. And of course, our genetic code helps us make a baby. And that's why your babies kind of look like daddy most of the time. If they don't, then maybe ask some questions. <laughs> uh, next one is sweat. So in our sweat, uh, we sweat around about 98% of it is water. And then you've got 2% that are safe salts, fats, amino acids, that sort of thing. And what we're looking for in our sweat is skin cells as well that have kind of shedded off and are part of, say, the, the, the sweat process. Now, uh, sweat is quite common in clothing because clothing um, can come into contact quite close with our bodies. Uh, so we're looking for, say, clothes, hats, footwear, that sort of thing can be fairly rich in DNA through our sweat. And of course, the, the longer we have a prolonged contact with something, the more likely it is that our uh, DNA is going to be uh, distributed onto that object. So say if I've just popped on a hat for five seconds and then swapped it for another one, say if I'm shopping for hats at the shops, then there's quite a low chance that my DNA is going to be present on that hat. Whereas if I've if I've worn it for a lot longer, then there's more chance that I'm going to sweat and deposit these skin cells. So then there might be, say, a, a richer source of DNA on items that I've, I've uh, worn for a longer amount of time. And some that uh, have an honourable mention are vomit, nasal mucus and faeces. So uh, vomit is quite a hostile, acidic kind of... Um, what would you call it? Would you call it a liquid? Sometimes it's chunky, I guess. Um, anyway, vomit, it can be quite hostile. So that's going to really degrade any, say, DNA uh, in the vomit. And in the vomit, we would, say, look for, like, the skin cells that would be in your saliva, that kind of thing. But like I said, because it's so acidic, it's going to really break down any DNA that's in there. Um, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Uh, the same with nasal mucus. Uh, nasal mucus, you're going to probably have a lot of saliva in there. Um, 
especially if you're sort of blowing your nose that could make say a lot more skin cells shed uh, out and of course like if you've got nasal mucus on a tissue don't just think about the nasal mucus it could come into contact with your mouth and you could have saliva in there as well and feces <laughs> lovely feces uh, we're only really looking for skin cells in feces and of course it's going to be say like quite potentially quite a nasty kind of hostile environment as well I wouldn't necessarily expect to find DNA in feces unless it's been say sort of like a struggle for someone to pass so then they're more likely to uh, to shed say skin cells and of course if feces have sort of acted as a plug and you've got say another kind of rich source of DNA such as semen uh, in this this kind of area then uh, you might be able to get say uh, semen on the feces yeah I really hope you're not eating your dinner as you're listening to this apologies if I've just put you off whatever you've got in front of you you probably spent hours making and I've just ruined it in a couple of seconds my biggest apologies so how do we recover all this DNA well there's two kind of main ways that we recover DNA it's either going to be through swabbing or we recover the whole item now there are other things that we could do say we could do say cuttings from uh, like an area or shaving so say for example we've got semen on a carpet we could say shave the carpet to try and get uh, the DNA the, the semen off that we could also cut out the area of carpet that would probably be the mo most likely way that we would uh, capture the DNA that's on the carpet however if you've got a victim of say a sexual offence they're not going to really be too happy that we've come in there and taken away a big chunk of their carpet. Right, we had a uh, small technical issue there. The technical issue was my dog barking at someone at the door. <laughs> uh, so where were we? Um, how do we recover DNA? Uh, so swabs. Swabs are the main way that I'm going to um, recover something for, for DNA. Uh, for example, if I've got a drinks bottle that's uh, been left in a stolen car, I want to take a sample of the saliva that's likely around the mouth of uh, a drinks bottle. Then I'm going to take a wet and then a dry swab of of the mouthpiece. Now we use uh, sterile water for the wet swab, and then this means that there's no say contamination or contaminants in the uh, in the water that we use and I use a wet swab first followed by a dry swab because the wet swab will just help loosen any like molecules that have been left on this uh, drinks bottle or the surface that I'm swabbing and then we use a dry swab just to mop up anything that say been left behind and uh, yet yeah, we'll uh, package those wet and dry swabs into an evidence bag seal it up straight away so there's gonna be less risk of say anything contaminating those uh, those swabs and right up the exhibit bag hey presto we've got ourselves a DNA exhibit uh, now what do we do once we recover those swabs we send it off to a laboratory it's not a uh, part of the police we send it off to an independent laboratory and they tell us whose DNA is on those items so in a nutshell that's uh, that's how we swab uh, for DNA 
and we'll do this for blood, we'll do it for uh, semen sometimes, uh, like on the carpet if I don't want to leave a, a huge hole in that person's carpet. Uh, yeah, and we'll use it for say cellular material as well. So if someone's been involved in a fight, we might swab their hands uh, with wet and dry swabs. And I might do a swab on the back of someone's hand and then on the palm as well just looking for sort of any foreign material and of course if you're taking hand swabs from someone say they're in uh, police custody there's going to be a big big chance that we're going to obtain their DNA on these swabs so the, what we'll need to do is we'll need to take a DNA profile from them if one hasn't been taken anyway if they've been a naughty person or in custody and uh, then we'll submit the the DNA profile that we take from them this will most likely be you know like a, a cheek swab and uh, we'll send that along with the hand swabs and they'll probably be able to say identify the person uh, who owns that DNA profile who should have that DNA profile on these swabs they'll likely be able to tell that it's a match with the the swabs that we take from the inside of someone's mouth from their cheek um, and then once they know whose DNA profile should be there they'll look for anyone that shouldn't so if they have been involved in a fight and they've been striking someone then there might be say some cellular material on their hands that don't belong to them that don't have their own DNA code and this would be very interesting for an investigating officer so uh, DNA will often kind of will find it in say rough surfaces so it could be that on on a vehicle there's this common myth that you can get fingerprints all over a steering wheel which um, I'm sorry Hollywood but isn't the case a lot of the time steering wheels can be like a rough rough kind of leathery surface uh, it's also got say lots and lots of stitching which is just you're not going to get fingerprints off stitching um, and yeah, it's just not a great, great surface for fingerprints. And you think about the amount of times that you, you hold that stereo, steering wheel, you smudge your hands across it. Already, you know, I'm using the word smudge and smudge fingerprints aren't usually that great because yeah, you just smudge out all the detail. But of course, the longer you're coming into contact with that surface, you might have like a lot of grooves and particularly in between all that stitching, you could be capturing, say, cellular DNA in that. So I'll take a few swabs. I'll um, kind of separate out the steering wheel into various areas, and I'll take a load of swabs from that steering wheel. And I'll use a wet swab firstly to kind of moisten up the uh, the steering wheel, and that will just say, hopefully, get these skin cell particles moving away from the steering wheel, captured onto that swab, and then I'll just mop up anything that's say left behind with the dry swab. Now the thing with, say, skin cells, saliva swabbing, that kind of thing, is you can't really see it. Unlike blood and fingerprints, you know if you've got blood at a scene or you know if you've got, say, fingerprints at a scene because most of the time you, you can see it. Whereas with saliva and skin cells, you are kind of just shooting in the dark, really, hoping that you're going to uh, develop something and, and capture something rather not develop that's fingerprint talk so yeah it can be like a bit of a gamble sometimes and that's why I'll say uh, separate up a steering wheel 
just so there's more of a chance that I'm going to capture DNA. If I just took one wet swab, one dry swab to a steering wheel, it might be that I haven't really swabbed a sufficient area of it. But I, I'll take multiple swabs of a steering wheel just to make sure that I'm, I'm capturing any, any DNA there. And of course, we've also, say, got like gear stick in the car, handbrake. Uh, they're often kind of like a rough surface, not that great for, for fingerprints. And of course, like on the top of the gear stick, that can be nice and smooth and shiny, which is normally on paper a good kind of surface for fingerprints. However, if you're constantly using it and you're constantly smudging around your marks and whatnot, it's not going to be the, uh, the the best for for fingerprints usually. So yeah, we'll take some uh, some DNA swabs from that. And of course, if the longer you spend kind of looking around your car, uh, the more surfaces you'll find in it that just aren't great for fingerprints. Uh, thankfully the manufacturers don't make the kind of dashboard smooth and shiny because we would get the reflection of the sun just straight in our eyes and, and crash our cars an awful lot so they make it kind of this dull rough surface uh, that's not going to reflect the sunlight which is great if you're driving but is awful if you're trying to recover fingerprints so, but this kind of rough surface might be quite good for, for DNA, so if there are any kind of handled surfaces within a vehicle, we're going to be popping in our swabs into those cracks and grooves and trying to capture any DNA like skin cells that, that are in there. Um, the best example I can think of that would yield quite a lot of DNA through your skin cells and activity is like a cigarette lighter wheel. If you just picture like you're scraping your finger against this lighter wheel, potentially shedding off all your skin cells that are getting caught in there, then there's a good chance that there's DNA there. So if we find cigarette lighters at the scene, then that can be a, a fantastic source of DNA. If we're also recovering semen, I keep on coming back to semen. <laughs> I don't know why. But... um so yeah we might have say semen on bedding uh, rather than swab the bedding we'll just seize the whole thing so we'll take the duvet cover the bed sheet uh, the pillowcases and things because pillowcases you're going to get say hair on them you're going to get saliva bed sheet you're going to get likely hair semen and same with with duvet cover so we'll we'll recover those send them to a scientist and then they can do the full shebang <laughs> you know they can do the the semen work, the hair work, the saliva work on the pillow. Um, but normally this leaves a, say, victim of sexual offence without uh, without any bedding. And some people would be quite thankful to never see it again. Uh, others, they might be, you know, like, they might not kind of be a big fan that you've taken away their bedding. Um, so yeah, I kind of have to reason with some people and, and say that we, we're just recovering the bedding, we're going to have to send it off to a laboratory, but you will get it back if you want to, if you still want it rather. Um, it's often a, a hard conversation that I have to have if I'm, if I'm recovering something that someone wants to, to still have. Of course, it could play a, a big part in the investigation, and I've never really had any any big complaints about me taking items away from a scene um, because a lot of people just want they want to find the perpetrator they want to help they want you know closure so they're, they're quite um, quite willing to part with with items like that 
And I think kind of in a nutshell, that is how we recover DNA evidence. I don't want to ramble on too much. I mean, most of it was football at the beginning. I'm sorry. But but yeah, hopefully I've kind of enlightened you on how we would recover DNA from a crime scene. Maybe some myths around fingerprints and what you can and can't get fingerprints off of. And yeah, uh, if um, if you have your car stolen and there's a load of, say, bottles and, and things left behind, then that's fantastic, and that's what I'll be doing. I'll be, say, recovering recovering items that don't belong in the car, say, like clothing. I'll be swabbing bottles, taking swabs from like, areas that are commonly handled in the car, and then fingerprinting all those, those great surfaces afterwards. And similar will sort of happen at, a, a say, a burglary or a more serious offence. But, of course unlike a car, a car is often great because you've got such a small confined area where you're touching multiple ob objects whereas in a house it's, it's it's bigger, the layout is more spread out so that's a lot more challenging but yeah, I hope I've, um, hope I've enlightened you like I said and uh, got you thinking about what we, what we do at crime scenes um, that's my phone ringing so <laughs> there we go, that was well timed catch you soon everyone, take care, bye bye This is crime scene investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next crime scene.